Hey, Set Deckians. Welcome to my first interview on Go for Set Deck. Today, I'm speaking with Christy Thompson, who is a lovely set decorator that currently lives in Atlanta. Some of her recent projects include Holidate, which will be released on October 28th, 2020, on Netflix, which is actually a shameless plug because I worked on it with her. <laughs> she also has worked on A Bad Mom's Christmas and a movie called Mark Felt, The Man Who Brought Down the White House. She's done many other great projects that you should definitely check out as well, including the one that we just did together that is about a Clemson football player, a Clemson University football player, because that's college, part of the movie that you should probably pay attention to if you like Clemson. That one is called Safety, but it actually doesn't have a release date, so I can't shamelessly plug that one. I can't shamelessly plug it yet. (laughs) I'm going to be asking Christy about her process and her advice that she can offer with all of her industry experience. We will also focus on features, which is also known as a movie. It's our technical term for a movie in the film industry. We will also cover some very handy information like what is the difference between a TV show and a feature. We touch on how this really fun pandemic has changed her job on a feature and how it's affecting her day-to-day life on her feature. Well, enough of that. Let's get to the episode. Thanks so much for coming on, Christy. I'm so happy that you're doing this. I'm happy to be here. I gave Christy about an hour's notice that we were going to do this. So it's kind of amazing that she came on and is helping me out today because I gave her no notice and I surprised her with a bunch of questions that she's going to have to give me very elaborate answers for. I said no pressure, but it's all the pressure, Christy. (laughs) Thanks for that. Yeah. Deep and in-depth. Absolutely. Well, how did you decide that decorating was your next adventure? Mm, This is kind of a long, windy story. I'm so excited. (laughs) I'm up. (laughs) So my former husband is a writer and a director and a playwright. And I studied to be an architect. And it was something that I was very passionate and excited about. And then once I got out of school, I realized that um, I had three small children and that and the economy was really in the tank. They weren't really building anything at that moment. So I was in Los Angeles with my former husband who had written a play. He said to me, I really have to block this. So can you please build me a model? And I said, listen. I am an architect and I really don't want anything to do with something that, you know, doesn't have plumbing and insulation and it I just don't want anything to do with it. And he Yeah, that sounds so boring. (laughs) He said, Can you please just build me a model? And as you know, when you build a model, you basically have to design the set. And so I sat there at our kitchen table and built a model and I ended up being the designer on that play that he did. And I just loved it. You know, I love the collaboration of it. I met this woman who's a lighting designer, Yael Lebeski, who's one of the most talented people I know. And she taught me a lot about theater. And so I was kind of off and running with that. There came, so I worked in theater for about nine years 
And I worked a little bit with Eugene Lee, who's a very well-known and talented designer in theater. And he was going to do TV project that my ex-husband was going to direct. And I said to him kind of naively, I want to work on this project. I'm going to do all the furniture and the fabrics and the artwork. And, you know, I want to work on this project with you. And he said, well, that's a great coincidence because I want it to look exactly like your house in New Hampshire. Ah. And I said, wow, well, that's perfect. So uh, how do I do this? Not really knowing a lot about art department at all. I mean, I had been on movie sets with my ex-husband, but I hadn't really, I was just there as the wife, you know, so I, I hadn't really learned what department does what. So they hired a set decorator. I went in as an assistant art director, got in the union. The decorator was incredibly generous and um, I became good friends with him. And he told me at the time, I said, how did you feel about the director's wife wanting to decorate? And he said, oh God, it just seemed like a nightmare. <laughs> he said, I really, well, normally it is. <laughs> yeah. He said, I thought you'd be interested in it for about a week and then you'd just go away. <laughs> but anyway, I did that project and that sort of put me on a path of set decorating. And I just, it seemed to be a really good fit. And so that sort of how I landed doing that. Was there a really big learning curve between being an architect and decorating on a feature film or a play or, you know, in our, in our world, as I might say? Huge learning curve. Of course. Yeah. It was what I did in school and I was never registered as an architect. I just went to school and got my degree, but it was, yes, it was very different, you know, and I quickly, had to learn how to collaborate with other departments in theater. It's a big one. Yeah. And I had to learn how to do things in a fake way. You know, I think the first time I did a brick wall in theater, I thought they were going to use actual brick. <laughs> it was like, oh, oh, that's really God. cute, though. It's so adorable. Yeah, it is. It's, I find that really endearing. But there was a, there was a very big learning curve in the beginning. But fortunately, I had really great people around me that were willing to teach me, willing to hear my ideas, and willing to help me. And I'm also very good at saying, I don't know what the answer is. Like, I need some help here. I don't really know exactly how to do this. I want to figure it out, but can you help me figure it out? And I always kind of took that stance instead of pretending that I knew the answer. And that sort of opened people up to be generous about um, giving me information, I think. Yeah, definitely. I've always really admired that about you because you you just go into it and you're like, I'm straight up going to be honest with you. I have no idea what you're fucking talking about. <laughs> it's the best. I do often say that. Yeah, it's, it's nice. Not often. You're very knowledgeable about your craft. You There's just certain things like you can't know everything. It's impossible. Yeah, it's, absolutely. Especially there's the so much on every single set that we do changes. Every script is different with different things. And you're like, oh, I'm going to space now. Uh, I guess I'll just figure out what happens in space. I don't know. <laughs> Very helpful. Very helpful. Well, I was wondering what your process is when you get a script. How do you break it down? And like, how's when you read it and start working on it? What's your process? 
Well, usually the first time I see the script is when I'm trying to get the job. And I sort of go through it quickly and see what all the scenes are and sort of get a feel for how many sets there are and sort of imagine what might be a location or what might be built on stage and just kind of quickly wrap my head around it. And then I go back and start reading it and breaking it down. And I usually just make a very long list of questions. And I love that process of developing the character. So most of my questions have to do with, you know, how this character moves around in the world and how they fit into the story and what they are sort of bringing to the table. So that's the initial part. And then I sort of go down to the technical things about, oh, this scene is going to require you know, the actor to sit on a chair and eat a sandwich and then move to a couch and, you know, the phone rings or whatever. And then you sort of start to discover all the elements that are necessary to make that scene happen and how you might fit them in. Right. Makes sense. Total Mm -hmm. sense. I should have asked you some questions about interviews. That would have been smart. (laughs) (laughs) What are the biggest challenges that you face in the industry? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, Well, unlike a lot of set decorators, I have three children. And I had my first daughter when I was 18. And that process, that was difficult to navigate, you know, trying to set decorate, trying to do a job that's so demanding and feel that I was giving my kids adequate time has always been a big challenge. And I think that that is just something that a lot of women face in a lot of different fields, trying to have a career and trying to manage a family. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that's probably been the biggest overall challenge. You know, of course, I've been in situations where it's real boys club. You know, even recently, sometimes I'll be in a group with a bunch of different different people from different departments, and the lead man is standing there. We're having a conversation I'm offering an idea and everyone around me is just kind of ignoring me. And then the lead man will say the idea and they're like, oh, oh, well, that's a great idea. We should do that. Why don't we all do that? (laughs) Jerks. And it doesn't really help to be a blonde, I have to say. (laughs) Sometimes I'll just circumvent that whole situation and say to the lead man ahead of time, this is a point I really want to make in this meeting. Why don't you offer up that suggestion, you know, and sometimes, sometimes you just got to do that. You know, you just got to cut through however you can to get the idea across. That's a frustration. I do think it's better now, definitely. But especially early on, that was really something to sort of navigate and figure out. Yeah. Well, a lot of people don't know that the film industry is somewhere around 80% male, I think a lot of people view the film industry having more women in it than they than there is uh, just because they'll see a decorator position or a costumer and they'll see interviews online with them and see a woman in one of the department head uh, positions. And then they'll think, oh, yeah, there's women on that crew. But then it's one of 10, you know, out of across the board or something crazy. So it's definitely getting better. But because because I think 10 years ago, it was 95% male. There's a crazy statistic that shows yeah. the percentages of men versus women in the industry. And it's, it's crazy. So I, 
I definitely totally understand that. The thing about your kids is really fascinating because I know a lot of decorators actually end up not starting their families because they're so worried about having enough time to raise kids with our 12 hours. Sometimes you're doing 16 hours a day and then you're doing weekends sometimes. And a lot of shows, I know a lot of people have worked, you know, 27 days straight, 77 days straight. If you're doing one of those shows. Yeah. And, um, how do you feel like you got around separating your time? Nanny. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I definitely, we had a nanny when my kids were growing up and that was really more to give them consistent, a lot of consistency because um, my ex-husband would travel and sometimes we would pack up all the kids and go on location somewhere with him. I mostly was pretty close to home and we just had to have help and we weren't near our family. So they weren't uh, necessarily able to help. And we just sort of figured it out step-by-step. You know, I think every day is a new plan. You just have to kind of figure out what the day looks like and how you can make adjustments and either get the kids up really early and have breakfast with them or try to see them at night before they go to bed. It's just heartbreaking to come home and the kids are all asleep. You know, you just feel that you missed out on everything. So it's definitely something to navigate. You know, the, the other part of it is I think because my kids had a mom and dad that worked in the film industry. It just seemed like normal life to them. You know, they didn't know what it was like to have a parent that had a corporate job and came home at nine o'clock. <laughs> and they did get to do some really interesting, fun, exciting kind of things that their that their friends weren't doing. Uh, but also, I mean, I remember times there became a point where you know, we were going to Paris or we were going to California. And my my daughters primarily grew up in New Hampshire. And we were going to California for four months. And their first reaction would be, oh, no, Megan's birthday party is next month. And I'm going to miss the birthday party, you know. And, and I would say, yeah, I'm going to Paris. But in their world, you know, that was really important to them. And it was hard Aww. to um, take them away. So, yeah, we just tried everything we could to give them consistency and, and my kids are adults now and they're really amazing people. So I guess it worked in a lot of ways, but it it wasn't necessarily easy. Yeah. Yeah. It is impressive though, that you got through it and you do have amazing kids. I'm very proud (laughs) of you for that. (laughs) Yeah. they're, They're great. I'm really proud of them. Yeah. Shout out to your kids right now. (laughs) How would you describe your role when you're a set decorator? Like, how would you define the role as a set decorator? Well, I think, you know, I'm there primarily to carry out the director's vision and the production designer's vision. When I'm happiest is when I'm able to bring a lot to the table. You know, when there's a collaboration and I get to bring my ideas and, you know, sort of work through that process of developing the character. Because for me, that's really what it's all about. You know, I'm constantly thinking about what does this person eat? What does this person have in their closet? You know, what are they thinking about when they're home alone? And not that any of this is scripted, 
But that's the part of it that I'm really passionate about. I love just how set decorating can influence and define the character. And that, that's what I really get excited about. So I don't, that's what set decorating feels like to me. I mean, I know that a lot of decorators approach it differently, but for me, that's kind of the heart of it. Yeah. That's a great point too, to bring up what makes you happiest when you're doing the job, because that's a really good uh, note. I think I defined it as very similar where your job is to help uh, develop the character and basically create the designer's vision that they had and extend it. Um, so that's a really good note, though, that what <laughs> makes you happiest when you're working <laughs> is also key. <laughs> well, I've worked with production designers that had such specific ideas down to, you know, what kind of lampshade they wanted. And I can do that, you know, of course. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to just take their shopping list and figure it out, but I don't necessarily enjoy that process. You know, I want it. I, I like the artistry of it. I like the creativity of it. And it's, it's not something I um, particularly enjoy when, when the production designer has uh, such a specific idea. Right. That makes sense. With your experience, what sticks out to you as a good example of the harmony that you need between you and your set decoration team? I think the thing that most sticks out is I want my team to be invested in it. You know, I want them to have read the script and understand the story and kind of know why we're there. And I want them to be excited about it. You know, I love it when people ask questions or I love it when set dressers have ideas, you know, that they bring to the table. That touches on the character development thing, too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I want um, input because I, you know, I don't know everything. I often have more information than they do, but it just goes back to that um, collaborative spirit, you know, where uh, if someone wants to offer up an idea that's better than mine, I think that's fantastic. You know, I, I really enjoy that part of it. That's a good one. What is a successful example I wrote in this question, example moment, I obviously didn't proofread this. <laughs> what is a successful moment when you collaborated something with your team that was great? I have to say, I did this show called Growing Up Fisher. It was a television show. It was only on for one season. But the showrunner and the creator of the show and the writer was this guy named DJ Nash. And it was a story about his family. Um, it was a comedy. And um, his dad was blind, but he was actually a very successful lawyer. And there was just such an energy about that show that it was just infectious. His enthusiasm, his excitement, his passion for it, it just sort of affected everything that we did. Cheryl Strang was my lead woman. I had only worked with her a little bit. She is amazing. She's just incredibly talented. And there was just a flow to it that just worked. We laughed all the time. We, it was a ton of work. It was very busy. Um, Kitty Doris Bates was the production designer on it. 
And we had this sort of magical collaborative thing that happened. We loved. Oh yeah, you've worked with her a couple times, right? Yeah, we just loved the same things. We loved the same colors. We loved the same style of furniture. I remember running in one time and saying, "Oh my God, I found this 1950 stove for the kitchen, and it's amazing. Is there any way we can fit it in?" She was like, "Absolutely, we got to use that," you know. And that kind of excitement around it. Uh, is something that I just really enjoyed. And everybody was just happy to be there. You know, it was in Los Angeles. The whole crew, they were very experienced. I was less experienced. They were so supportive of me, you know, just wanted me to do really, really well. And I met a lot of people on that show that I'm still friends with today. And I remember when the show was about to air, a friend of mine was in Times Square, New York, and they had put up a giant lit billboard and she took a picture of it and sent it to me. And I framed it and gave it to the guy who had created the show, DJ. And he was so moved. He was just so excited. And it was such a big moment. And I mean, he's had a lot of success, but it was such a big moment for him because it was such a personal story to have the billboard in Times Square was just such an exciting thing, you know, and every day it just seemed as if something um, was happening that uh, was creative and exciting. And it was just a really good experience. You know, I just sort of hang on to that as a show that, that I just felt such excitement about, you know? Yeah. I don't care how cheesy this sounds, but to me, that's where real movie magic happens. It's not when you get the perfect shot after 700 tries and it just happens to come together. It's the really amazing moments where you meet people that become like your film family and you have a positive experience on the job because it's not every show that things go really well with the people that you're working with just because there's so many personalities and so many challenges and stress and yeah absolutely I mean I think there was a real turning point for me several years ago where I just learned about myself that I wanted to work with good people and like-minded people and that became more important than what the project was it's not that I don't care about the project but I just became sort of laser focused and very determined to work with people that I enjoy being around and, you know, you spend so much time together and you sacrifice friendships, time with your family, time with your children, time with your pets, all that stuff. Time with yourself. Time with yourself. Sleep. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is your bath like? I don't remember. <laughs> you do. You sacrifice a lot to be there. And it just really means a lot to have people around you that you enjoy. Yeah. Respect is a big one for me. I really want to work with people that respect me and my time. Uh, it doesn't matter that I'm in a lower position of them, or if I have a person that's in a lower position than me, it's all about respect for me. I respect the people that work with me and the people that res I respect above me. Um, so I always just want that back. And it's really hard when you work for, you know, someone that's really challenging that respect level. Cause it's, it's never 
never a good time when you cross that line. I totally agree. That's, that's really important just with human beings, but also absolutely that just sort of changes everything when you feel appreciated and respected. What is a horror story when things weren't great on a show of yours? Oh my God. I know there's many of them. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I have a very clear example of a horror story and it was, it was really more about my life at the time than it was about the actual project. But I was in the process of getting divorced. I was in Los Angeles. I made an offer on a house the real estate market was very competitive. I never thought I would get it. And I got the house. And then about two days later, left to go to Aiken, South Carolina. It was just a series of horrible, horrible things that happened in my life. <laughs> I was getting divorced. I was buying a house. I was selling a house. My friend committed suicide while I was there. My dad was sick and they gave at one point they gave him 24 hours to live so I had to race to him I was concerned about my parents but the weird thing was it was back in the day of fax machines so I had all these um you know real estate and divorce things happening in my life and I was staying in a hotel so I would come to the hotel every night and there would be like a 3 inch stack of paperwork that I had to deal with um to manage all things that were going on in my life at the time. And somewhere I still have that paperwork. It's like a two foot um, pile of papers. It was just um, a swirl of craziness. But the production designer who was a very good friend of mine was in the whole crew. They were so kind to me. I remember um, I was sitting in my car one day and a set dresser came up to me that I barely knew to ask me a question. And I full on burst into tears, just started sobbing. (laughs) And it had nothing to do with the movie, but he, it was just that moment. Everything spilled out everywhere. And he looked kind of dazed and confused. (laughs) And I kept apologizing, but um, it was just so stressful. You know, it was really hard to sort of navigate all the things that were going on in my life in that moment and working a job that particular movie was just incredibly demanding. I was working probably 16 or 18 hours a day, you know? Yeah. So that was kind of one for the books. I also just had that experience back in January. That was, there's times where you're like, how will I get through this day? It's not possible. It's just not. And then you do and it's fine. It's, it just seems impossible sometimes because also, you know, you get to a point where fatigue just takes over. I mean, there's, and we were working that particular show, we were working a lot of six and seven days and, you know, you just couldn't get away from it for a minute to kind of regroup, you know? Yeah. Pure exhaustion. Mm-hmm. I know. Well, I'm really sorry all of that happened to you. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> It was a terrible oh, look at the character it developed in this moment. <laughs> look at the Christy that's before us. She's a beautiful butterfly. <laughs> I came through it. Yes. Yeah, I remember one time my son came to visit me because he was 15. His parents are getting divorced. You know, I had him come a couple of times um, to spend the weekend because he was in school in California. Just to, you know, sort of have that connection with him. 
He came for the weekend, flew cross country. I was so busy that I didn't have a second to give him any attention. And I remember I parked him in a guitar store for the afternoon. (laughs) There was like a, I mean, this is Aiken, South Carolina. It's a very tiny town. People were incredibly friendly. I said to the owner of the store, I said, I don't want to make you a babysitter, but I have all these. But you're a babysitter. (laughs) Just hangs out here for a little bit. And he was like, oh, absolutely. So I ended up buying him a $400 guitar that he clearly didn't need. (laughs) Just because I felt so guilty that I had left him in a guitar store with a stranger for the afternoon. Yeah, it's really hard to balance your family life during all of the shows that you do. And there's just, it, there's no excuse other than you, you just don't have time. And then you're purely exhausted. So it's like, what do, what are we going to do for dinner, mom? And you're like, I, eat a guitar. I don't care. Here's the guitar. Just eat it. That's now your food. Here's the guitar. You have four others at home. We clearly don't need it. Use the strings to floss your teeth. It's fine. Everything's great. What is a handy term to know? Janky. That's my favorite term. <laughs> you do use that a lot. Yeah. Does it have to be like a real film term? Because uh, I love that word janky because, you know, it's not, it's something that's kind of dumbed down. And how would you define janky? It's kind of rough shot. You know, it's kind of not fully functioning or it's uh, decayed a little bit. It's kind of janky. How would you use it in a sentence? (laughs) (laughs) All of the furniture in this set needs to be a little bit janky. (laughs) That's perfect. (laughs) Yeah. I know exactly what you're saying with that. hundred (laughs) percent. I think we've done a few of those sets together. (laughs) Absolutely. What is your favorite thing about your job? Um, I don't want to repeat myself, but it really is, it's twofold. You know, it's that creative thing where as a set decorator, you get to have an influence over how the character develops. And, you know, the actor walks into the room and the room really speaks to who the character is and what they're all about. Do you have a favorite character that you developed? Oh, and now I'm stumped. <laughs> I didn't give you that one beforehand. It just <laughs> Oh, I would say uh maybe Mark Felt. Liam Neeson was the lead and he played Mark Felt, who was the whistleblower in the Watergate scandal. Uh Mark Felt's actual daughter was consulting with us, so we got he he was deceived at that time, but um, we got to learn a lot about him. It was a period movie that took place in 1972, but I really loved developing his character because he had this very sort of stilted life at work. And then he had this very colorful wife and sort of a different life when he was at home. So that was really fun to sort of dig in and do their house and then do his work life and that sort of thing. Is there a specific item that you remember researching and putting in to one of his sets to further develop his character? Oh, yeah, there were a few things. Let's see. We He was a painter. The real Mark Felt was a painter as a hobby. So we had some paintings done. I think there was a scene where he was actually painting. 
So we had some paintings done that we put on the set that would have been done by him and that were influenced by uh, his daughter. She sent us pictures of the actual artwork. So that was really fun. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it was cool. Yep. And they had this sort of, you know, they were aspirational. They were living this life in Washington. And so uh, I wouldn't say wealthy, but they had a nice house and sort of that balance between a person who's aspirational and has some nice things and, but living more of a like upper middle class kind of life, you know? Right. Yeah. Aspirational is actually another good term. It's a handy term to know Yeah. because directors always use it when they're trying to describe it's not technically considered low income, but they they describe it in commercial in commercial world at least. They describe it as uh, West Elm level furniture, and so they're trying to say that they're not fancy people; they're yeah. aspirational. Yeah, and I just find that really funny. I've had it come up though when I've I've questioned, like, why would this character live in such a nice place? Uh, when she's a cashier at a grocery store, I mean, or, or whatever it is, you know, her, the income that she makes doesn't really match. Reflect uh, her housing. Yeah, exactly. And then they'll come back and say, oh, well, she's aspirational. <laughs> I'm like, all right. Ooh, double-edged sword. <laughs> oh, you know, I guess it works when it works. What would you say the least favorite thing about your job is? I would say probably the long hours. I mean, as we all know, um, I used to be very insecure in between jobs. And I would spend the whole time worrying, worrying, worrying about the next job. You know, am I ever going to get hired again? How am I going to get hired again? Blah, blah, blah. And then at some point, I just thought, you know, I spent six weeks worrying about not getting a job. Now I'm at work and I didn't enjoy one minute of the six weeks that I had off. (laughs) So I just kind of made myself a promise not to do that anymore. It's hard. You have to train yourself. Well, and part of it's financial too. Yeah. Because, you know, there's this tendency like, oh, well, I don't want to go on any trips right now because I'm unemployed. I don't want to spend the money. But then if you don't go ahead and do it, when you have that opportunity, it just never happens. And clearly the easiest way to get a job is to go on a trip because as soon as you buy a plane ticket, you're going to get five phone calls. Vacation. Yeah. Done. <laughs> yeah. You will be working by the time you get back. <laughs> of course. We are actually going to break this episode into two parts because I'm a total dick and we are going to save the rest of the interview for next week. I know, I'm awful, the worst, truly. Uh, please tune in to our mini-sode that will air soon for more industry tales. And if you would like to send your own industry tales, our email is goforsetdeckpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to follow the Instagram, which is also goforsetdeckpodcast. And if you feel like being everything that I've ever hoped for and dreamed for, feel free to donate on the Patreon, which is once again, go for Set Deck Podcast. I got super creative, guys. Well, I truly appreciate you listening and putting up with my podcast hosting learning curve because it's kind of giant. 
And I might be the most technologically challenged person to host a podcast on this planet. But here we are. And there we go. Be good to each other and tune in next week for part two of Christy Thompson's interview. Bye.